Hey everyone, welcome to Queerly Recommended, the podcast where we recommend queer films, books, TV shows, video games, and more. I'm Tara Scott. I review sapphic fiction, The Lesbian Review, and Smart Bitches Trashy Books. And this week I'm doing something a little different because I actually am recommending two things instead of just one. Cheater. And I'm Chris <laughs> Bryant, a contemporary romance writer for Bold Strokes Books. And this week I'm recommending a book. So we just want to take a minute to thank everyone who supports the show, whether through our coffee link, sending money or signing up for our newsletter. And we have links to both in our show notes. And also just, you know, we really appreciate every review and rating that you've all made on podcast apps. So thank you so much. And if there's like one other thing that you'd like to do to support us, please just tell a friend about the show because that's honestly word of mouth is the best way for people to find out about us. And Given the times we're living in, I kind of think it's a good time to uh, be checking out more and more queer media, get a little comfort, find ourselves in there. I agree. Tara, you have some news. I have some news. Yes, news. I'm leaving my job because I got a new job. Yay! Yay! I know it's very exciting because I I I don't think it's to be a super big shock to anybody that we have day jobs. Um, Podcasts do not pay the bills unless (laughs) you're like, uh, yeah. Unless you're like Abby Wambach and Glennon Doyle or, or, you know, Brené Brown or whoever. But I've been at the same job for almost seven years and I had an opportunity come my way and got pretty excited because it's a smaller company in an earlier stage. And I get to take everything I learned here and kind of do it all over again. So big changes. That's great. Yay. It's actually, um, this is the first time I've resigned since (gasps) 2005 from any job. (laughs) Well, I have been at my day job for over 20 years because I started when I was eight. And so I think I've only had to resign from two jobs in my life. Well, and technically I did resign from this job, but then I, they got me back. They did. They did. That's true. Dangle enough meat. <laughs> I mean, not even meat, just enough, you know, a big chunk of money. Like, yeah, I guess so. Mm-hmm. I'll come back. And um, I'm still on the fence about it. It's been, I've been back, uh, what, nine years and I'm still like, meh. Well, I think too, like when I think about your working context in the US versus in Canada, like benefits just seems like oh. a huge <laughs> part of compensation. Yes, there are. Um, so the benefits are, uh, they do have a 401k mm-hmm. that they do contribute to up to like 4%, which is nice. Although the mm-hmm. stock market has been shit the last two years, but whatever. We're not talking about that. We're not going to talk about <laughs> it. I get a text message every Friday that tells me how bad my account's doing. Oh, uh, I know. I know. I just need to stop that. I need to turn oh, that yeah. off. Can can you get like a quarterly update? So at least you're only bummed <laughs> out once every. Yeah. It's like, what? Well, last yeah. Friday I got a bump and I was like, yahoo. But I think this Friday it's going to be like, what has happened? So it's yeah. so weird. I should probably turn that off. And then we don't have health insurance. Wait, what? Right. See, you were about to take a drink and I stopped you. So we don't, okay, how do I want to say this? They don't offer health insurance, but as a group, we have health insurance, even though it's not through the company. The company gives us $150 a month for insurance purposes on top of our salary, which mm-hmm. back in 1970, that probably would have worked. But like, <laughs> like I said, uh, I've been there yeah. that long and there has not been an increase in that for that whole time. Yeah, it's so weird. So I pay a fortune. So I'm going to have to, I'm going to need a sugar mama. Let's just, let's just put it out there. Put All it right. out there. <laughs> People, Chris is a great author. Thank a you. Great podcaster. And I cook friend. well. She cooks well. Yes. Great conversationalist. Surely. Surely you- there's somebody out there who. Yeah. Find Chris on Twitter to submit your sugar mama. <laughs> My resume, their resume. Yeah. That's <laughs> application. Right. Yes. It's, it's unbelievable how expensive healthcare is here in the United States. Mm. Um, I think, I think what I pay a month is around 
$700 and then the 150 minus the 150. So yeah, that's a lot of money. And it's not even great insurance. It's really not great. It's like, I don't know, the deductible is like 6,500 or something a year. And I think that's one of the better ones. It's so ridiculous. It's like, what am I doing? You either need a sugar mama or you're going to come to Canada. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Yes, I'm oh. trying to. My sister wants to move to Portugal, and I'm like, find out about the healthcare because oh, if it yeah. sucks, I'm not getting there. But she also found out that not only do you have to pay American taxes, mm-hmm. uh, but you also have to pay uh, Portugal taxes uh, up to 25%. That's what she oh. found out. Yeah, I know. So I'm like, well, maybe I'm not going to Portugal. We're going to find you a place. I know. We're going to make this work. It's going to happen for you. <laughs> I hope so. All right. So other than trying to figure yes. out where you're relocating to, what's been going on with you lately? So I took I took the weekend off. I um I went to visit one of my friends up in mm-hmm. Chicago and we drank wine and ate cheese and we watched basketball the whole oh. weekend. Oh, do you like watching basketball enough? No. So <laughs> Here's the deal. It is March Madness mm-hmm. in our, well, I mean, by the time this lands, I'm not quite sure where we'll be on it, but mm-hmm. I'm very competitive and I don't like basketball. I used to coach it. I used to play it. I don't like to watch it. Uh, I think NBA is just running up and down the court. I think men's college basketball is the same way. So I was with uh, my friend, Christina and her wife, and we're sitting there watching women's basketball the whole weekend. And the only reason why I was into it is because I had a bracket. I had to pick teams mm-hmm. that win. And mm-hmm. there were so many upsets. I think I've busted all of my brackets now. I think I have one bracket that's still alive, but I'm limping along mm-hmm. and I still won't win. But the only reason why I watched basketball all weekend was because I was chilling and I wanted to win. You do like to win. I do like to win. So. I love it. I love to win. And I'm an, I told you so person <laughs> and I hate that I am, but I can't help myself. Uh-huh. Yeah. Even with sports teams, mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I, you know, I don't talk shit ahead of time because you never know, but after the fact, oh yes, I have a big shit talker. I am. <laughs> it's awful. Oh my God. That's hilarious. <laughs> uh, yes. well, it sounds like a good weekend. It really was. I really needed to get away. And uh, just with everything that's been going on in my life, it was just nice to not think about anything and just Mm -hmm. snuggle with big dogs and have old cats beat me up. I mean, it was perfect. It was a great weekend. That sounds beautiful. It was great. (laughs) Yes. Okay. We have one listener question. Only one? Well, I'm going to say this really slowly while I go and check <laughs> oh, just to see. We have notification. If, nah, that's just a, that's just oh. a message in my Twitter. That's not that's not going to be. <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> Sorry. Uh, okay. All right. Do you want to ask or shall I? Go for it. Queer weirdo human being wants to know how do you two deal with book hangovers? Chris, are you familiar with the good old? book hangover? You know, I am. Uh, I don't get to read as much as I really want to, but I think, and I've talked about this before, that the worst book hangover I ever had, at least of recent years, Mm -hmm. year, two years, um, was The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. That book absolutely shredded me. Like it was exhausting. It was super fierce. Mm -hmm. And that is without a doubt the the book hangover of my decade life. so far not life but for sure it, it was it was just exhausting you know uh yeah. the books I do read out and they're good you know and you're happy because I read about you know I, I read what I write mm-hmm. I read romance and you know there's going to be a happy uh ending and mm-hmm. so those are kind of like ah, that was so yeah. good and then I move on you know then I have things yeah. I need to do so but Evelyn Hugo I freaking i i swear the um yeah, Taylor Jenkins read yeah she needs to pay me because i have like some people <laughs> this book i'm like not only you need to listen to the audiobook not just read the book mm-hmm. because i think the audiobook was amazing and i normally don't think that about audiobooks because it's too restrictive i can't sit that yeah. long 
Actually, speaking of which, if I recall correctly, because you listened to it while you were driving out to mm-hmm. P-Town. P-Town. And back. Yeah. So Twice. I think in this case, I think what really stood out to me, because I remember you talking about it on the podcast when you were telling me that I had to listen mm-hmm. to it as well before you actually <laughs> bought me the audiobook, was that you listened to it twice, like within a few days of each yeah. other. So in, in that way, do you think it's fair to say in that case with this particular book hangover, perhaps not all of them, but this one, you just had to go in and experience it all over. Again. I did. I had to, I was hoping for a different ending. I do that a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's one of those where it's like, oh, it does, it's like in a movie. Like I know yeah. the ending and I get, I still watch it. I'm like, oh, it didn't change. And so it was just so good. The storytelling Mm-hmm. This is so good. And I listened to it the first time because so many people were talking about it. Yes. And so the for the story, I, I just listened to the story for the first time, you know, just my first mm-hmm. go. And the second go, I was listening to the words because I thought it was such mm-hmm. an incredible book. And the way it was written, I was like, that is my ultimate goal in life is to write a book that, like that. Yeah. And so I listened to it as a reader the first time. And the second time it was more of a writer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah. I love that. I love that. I think um for me, it depends on who even knows <laughs> what number of things. I don't have like a go-to remedy for book hangovers, mm-hmm. but there are yeah. like a few there it tends to go a few different ways. Um, so occasionally I have done sort of similar to what you did. I mean, I'm not looking at it from a writerly perspective, but there are times where I'm so blown away, especially if there's a twist, like Mm -hmm. if there's a twist that recontextualizes everything, then I might actually go back to the beginning and then start reading again. And in that case, I'm actually unlikely to finish all the way through, but it's Mm -hmm. mostly just that, like, I want to know, okay, but were seeds planted early. Right. And I just didn't exactly. even know to the look structure. after them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's a big one. Either structure. Yeah. Structure for sure. Possibly even like character development stuff that I didn't mm-hmm. catch because I didn't know a twist was coming. Maybe that is actually structure. This is like, you know, the words. I don't know, man. I just, I just read the books and You're write about good, them. Sweetie. I don't write You're books. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> Go you. There are some cases where I will try to find another book and then just give up after a while and just like let it kind of slowly kind of make its way out Mm -hmm. of my brain because if something is really stuck in then I'm not going to be able to dive into another romance right for a while I remember that happening especially with truth and measure and above all things where like I it's funny that you said like with romance I can just keep going and it's like "Mm, depends on the romance for me (laughs) um And I find the ones where passion is best articulated. So that's a great example of one. The Music in the Mirror by Lola Keeley is another one where like where the passion is portrayed so beautifully and so viscerally that like I can almost I almost feel like my breath is being taken away. Mm. Game over. I don't bother. I'll just go like play video games for a while and watch TV shows (laughs) and like. Just, I just need to get over it. I need to deal with my feelings, process them, and then move on. And then the other possibility is sometimes it works to go back to an old favorite, like one of my very, very mm-hmm. favorite, my comfort reads. Then that might be a place that I can kind of sink into and relax for a while as I am processing my feelings. So, Makes sense. yeah. All right. What about the people listening? What do you do? to deal with a book hangover you can tweet us either individually or the queerly recommended account or you can email podcast at queerly recommended.com because i'm wondering are there better ways to handle it than what i just described (laughs) i feel like there are a lot of feelings and a lot of emotions about this because there are a lot of book hangovers out there so many yeah (laughs) all right chris yes what have you been reading or watching well, as I mentioned, uh, March Madness. So mm-hmm. I've watched the shit out of basketball games. And it's so funny because, you know, when you first start, you're just like, okay, whatever, whatever. Okay. I hope they win. Oh, she was fouled. And then you get into it and you're like, oh my gosh, you know, it's, it's so funny. Yeah. Like the, my process, because I coached basketball for five years, which like, I'm only learning about today. <laughs> Ah, uh, yeah, what? isn't that funny? Yeah, what? Yes. So you I are 
the second close friend I have that used to coach basketball. Look at that. Yep. I'm collecting them. We're here and we're That's queer. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of you. <laughs> one of us. <laughs> so, yeah. So I've been watching a lot of basketball mm-hmm. and Ted Lasso started up on Apple TV season three. I knew it was starting, but I didn't yeah. realize it had started. How many episodes are in? One. <laughs> one. Oh, okay. Okay. One Not episode. Behind. I saw it right before I left for Chicago. I think it comes out on Wednesdays. I think it's every mm-hmm. Wednesday. How is it? It's, you know, it's always weird to get back into a, a sitcom mm-hmm. or not a sitcom, but I guess a TV show after you've been away from it for like nine months or however long it's been. Yeah. I, I was kind of like, okay, now what happened? Now, who is this? Now, what did this person do? So it's almost yeah. better to go back and watch like the last episode of the previous season, uh, you know, just to remember everything, mm-hmm. but it all came back to me and and so far so good. I mean, I don't know. It's not going to be as good as the first season. Mm-hmm. I don't think, but, um, uh, but I'm, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. Okay. And plus there's the whole Jason Sudeikis and, um, his wife, ex-wife, oh, the whole, man. I know. I, you know, and I'm sad because yeah. I wish I didn't know a lot of the things that I know about celebrities because yes. it really does taint things on their work, mm-hmm. but you can't help mm-hmm. it. You can't help. It's everywhere. It's not like, I'm, I'm actively seeking out information. It's just there whenever I turn on the TV, go to Twitter, do whatever it is I need to do. And it's just there. So, yes. so that kind of taints things for me too. Yeah, that's um, fair. I was, yeah. I was wondering the same thing too, because the character of Ted, like we know there was some stuff that went down there. Like he got a divorce and all that, but like, he just comes across as so wholesome. And so when you hear about him, like laying down in front of his ex's car and uh, it's hard, it's hard, mm-hmm. it's hard. Yeah. 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 So, so Ted Lasso, and then okay. I'm also watching a show on TV called Alaskan daily. What and is this? It is not queer, but it's strong. It's a strong woman led cast with of course, two-time Oscar winner, Hillary Swank. Ooh. Yes. Ooh. Yes. We like her. Yes, we do. She's and so, so good. <laughs> she is really good. She's a reporter in Alaska mm-hmm. and she gets sent there because she writes this story and it ends up being quote unquote false. And so that it just discredits her as a journalist. Mm-hmm. So she, she gets sent, she gets her only job offers in Alaska, but anyway, wait, wait, wait. Yeah, I know. It sounds sounds like, I know. kind of familiar. <laughs> Are that's you why getting I like it. Checks? <laughs> I should be getting checks. You should. But, and it was, Is you know, it's like. Moose? <laughs> there that are there sits are moose. on a car. There is not one that sits on a car, but, it, you know, it's funny because as I was thinking about, you know, things I'm watching, I thought about that. I was like, oh, my God, there are a lot of similarities. Mm-hmm. And just for the record, my book was first. Like my oh, book for sure. 2018 or whatever. Yeah. Not even so, a question. Yeah. So, but, um, it's not, it's not as close. That's really the only similarity is, is right okay. there. So, um, she's up there, like I said, cause it's the only place that would hire her. And this show is based on a series by Kyle Hopkins called lawless sexual violence in, in Alaska. And, uh, we find out that indigenous women are murdered are murdered more than 10 times that oh, yeah. than the average. And it's just, it's it, the whole thing is about Hillary Swank getting in there and she's finding this out and she's like, this is horrible. You know, where's law enforcement? And then you don't know if they're just all idiots or they don't give a shit or they don't have the resources. And a lot of it is resources. Like they don't have, they don't do DNA testing if, unless they have a reason to believe that it's homicide. And a lot of them, they write off as like suicides or whatever, just Mm -hmm. so they don't want to have to, they don't want to mess with it. And so she's up there saying, no, we're going to mess with it. We're going to find out why these women are dying. And so that's kind of, yeah, that's what she's, uh, she's up there doing. So it's a really good show. And (laughs) it took a break. A lot of shows have that winter break. Yeah. And so it started back up again. So we're we're in Hmm. a couple episodes now in the second half of this season. And I think it's still the first season. Honestly, I'm so confused. Time. What is is it? Time is nothing anymore. I know. Yeah. COVID borked all sense of time. That's interesting. Yeah. Canada has a big problem with that too. Yeah. I think a lot of Americans think of like, oh, Canada, it doesn't have racism problems. It's like, we do. <laughs> we really do. And especially, I mean, there's 
there there are all kinds of racism here i'm i'm not going to say that there isn't anti-black racism or or you know asian hate problems or anything like that but one of the biggest like especially from a systemic standpoint is indigenous people and that's why like when you hear conversations about murdered and missing indigenous women like there's been campaigns about it in canada and there's just not enough that's been done so i bet there's a lot of overlap from what's being talked about there and i'm glad attention is being called to it because it's awful yeah and they actually like after the episode they have like the like hillary swank and the other lead they're like you know this is a real problem. Mm-hmm. You know, they actually talk to the audience and saying that this is truly things that are happening. Oh, good. Yeah. So, so it is good. It's, there's more to it than just that. It's about her mm-hmm. adapting and, and stuff like that. And, and, um, and she's just such a hard ass and you, it's, you see her kind of softening because now yeah. she's so used to tearing people down. Like that was her job as a journalist for so long that now she's mm. in this and she's in this really warm environment where like the people there are, you know, they're family. And so she's learning what it's like to actually be in a family. Mm. So there's that aspect. There's the warm, fuzzy, emotional aspect, but then there's also the realism of, of shit that really yeah. does go on. So Balancing. that's what I'm watching. Yeah. I recommend that just, you know, it's not queer or anything, but mm-hmm. uh, it is good to watch. It is a good show. Yeah. So that's What right. about you? What are you watching or reading? Uh, okay, what have I been reading or watching? Of course, continuing to watch the Drag Race, the main, the season fifteen. I don't know, like it's a good season, but I don't feel like I have a lot to say about it because, like, yeah, it's great. They're back to the ninety-minute episodes, which, like, thank goodness. Mm-hmm. All it means is it feels like, yay, we're back to normal. <laughs> um, but they've had some good. They've had some good judges, and it's still like I just want Sasha Colby to win. But if Mistress won, that would be fine too. It's you know like it's gotten to where if any of them win, except for You're maybe fine. I'm sorry, Lucy Laduca, I think it's fine. Oh. oh, they've been doing an edit on this poor queen who like she's very good. She's a highly competent queen. I don't think she quite like dazzles in the way that some of the others do because we're down to the top five. But I don't know if she's actually this dramatic or if she's just gotten like a bit of a villain edit, Mm. which like I know RuPaul is like, no, you said it. Like actually RuPaul did this song. I think it came out last year called Blame It on the Edit. And it's like, (laughs) yeah, it's like, okay, RuPaul, most powerful drag queen in the world. But there's like these other queens that really like to wind her up. And so she's just like, there are episodes where she's like, I thought I was going to be in the top. I'm fucking pissed about it. And they're like, calm down. And so it's like, it was entertaining a bit and now it's just kind of sad. And so she either needs to like win the whole thing and prove everybody wrong or go in the next episode and not make it in the top four. But I want Sasha Colby to win. Like that for me would be the correct. She's amazing. So yeah, season 15, still great. And then, I mean, you know, we talked about Drink Masters. We talked about the big brunch. We talk about the great Canadian and British baking show Mm -hmm. off, whatever. Right. Uh, I like my fairly gentle yet still competitive competition reality shows. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, what is there next? And then I had three people tell me, you should watch Next in Fashion. And I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. So it has Tan France from Queer Eye, the fashion guy from Queer okay, Eye. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the first season, his co-host is, I think her name is Alexa or Alexis Chung, and she's great. And then it's one of the Hadids, I guess, in season two. I'm not in season two yet. Mm-hmm. I'm still in the first season. And it's all fashion designers. They're competing. And actually, I thought the format was really cool because at first they have them paired off. And so they have to compete in pairs. And then a little over halfway through, they say, guess what? It's individual now. You're not in pairs anymore. So your former partner is now your competitor, which I think is a really cool way to go from, because they started with like 16 people. So to go from like 16 to do that in, in as individuals, like that would take forever. So Ever. I thought it was a really yeah. smart, fun way to do it. And they're competing for, I think it's $300,000 which is massive when you were doing your own business. And I think their clothes will be carried on some website that I don't know. It doesn't, this is like, somebody's mad at me right now, but that's fine. I'm not a fashion person, but it's just really fun. But the thing that I keep thinking that I want so badly, Mm. because they, so they have a theme and they design clothes for it. And then there's like a runway at the end where people have to walk. 
but you see them like working with the makeup artist. And I was like, what if there was a crossover between next in fashion mm. and glow up? Ding dong. Ding. I love dong. it. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Like, and, and I don't even, dong. I'm not even greedy. I don't need a whole season. That's both. Cause I get that with glow up, they're doing all these different things. Mm. But what if there was like, that's one a great crossover idea. Episode. Mm-hmm. I love it. I think that's great. It's perfect. I want it. <gasps> you should email it. them. Yes. I need to figure out how. Yeah. Hello, BBC. And also whoever makes next in fashion, <laughs> please can you get in me? touch with glow up? Mm-hmm. Actually, they might just be Netflix and Netflix carries glow up. There you go. We can do it. And they're always crossing shows anyway. Mm-hmm. All those dating shows that you knew stuff about and I didn't. And I'm like, how do you know that? It's because it's Netflix and it's right? all the shows. I know. It's perfect. I love this it. This is my best idea. Give the queers what we right. want. Yay. Uh, and then Neil and I watched a documentary series called The Romantics. It's on Netflix. And we really enjoyed it. It's only four episodes. And it's about the history of a film studio in mm. Bollywood. So in Northern India. And so it's about Yashraj films and specifically about, because it's this like family run studio. Because I guess like in Bollywood, it's all very like, everybody's connected to everybody else. Lots of Nepo babies, lots of <laughs> Nepo babies marrying other Nepo babies, that kind of thing. So it starts off with like Yash Chopra. He's the guy that started it. He's mm-hmm. a, he's a director. And then it kind of gets into also his son, who's one of his sons become also becomes like a producer and a director. And we loved it. Oh, it cool. is so wonderful. And it's like, yes, it's about this one studio, but it's also talking like you learn a little bit about the history of India at the same time. You learn about the history of filmmaking in India. What are the trends that have happened since like, say, the 1950s when he he started directing? And we just had so much fun. And they got so many good, good stars mm. on there. Some of the like the biggest stars in India were in this documentary talking to each other. And it's cool because I guess, um, so Adi Chopra, his son, who kind of took over as head of the studio, was doing the producing and the directing as well, is notoriously reclusive. And like this guy mm. directed possibly the longest, if you don't count Rocky Horror, because uh, Rocky Horror is—it's not like it's continually playing somewhere at the same place all the time. But okay. he he directed the longest running film ever. It is still wow. running. It was released in 1995. I can't remember the name off the top of my head, but it's referred to often as well as DDLJ because it's four words that start with those letters. And we were like, okay, this is cool. And like, it's cool. It was funny at the end of the first episode. They show reactions from a bunch of the stars finding out that this guy agreed to be interviewed on camera. Uh, and they like, all what? Fl- yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Just this constant flipping out of people. It was so, it was so great. And so I, of course I walked away from it saying, but is it actually a good documentary? Like I enjoyed it, but mm-hmm. I know nothing about right. the film scene in India. And so I went to Google India and looked up a bunch of reviews and the consensus seems to be, eh, it's kind of propaganda-ish oh, about, really? <laughs> about the film studio, but also right. nobody cared because it was done so, be- like, basically it's not critical of the studio, but nobody cared because it's so beautiful and it evoked so much of so many people's childhoods. Mm. And so from there I was like, well... Obviously, now I need to. Do you remember that deep dive I did on like the New York punk scene? Because I yes. like ADHD fixated on it. Guess right. what I'm ADHD fixating mm-hmm. on now? <laughs> so I talked to a few friends that I have that either were born in India or uh, their parents were, and so they're kind of like of the of the of the diaspora, but still kind of grew up with these films and got a list. I watched my first one on the weekend. It's called Three Idiots. If it were queer, it would 100% be a recommendation wow. and perhaps one of my strongest recommendations to date, but it is not at all queer. <laughs> but I'm going to talk about it anyway, because it's our well, podcast good. and we can, yeah. and this is the section where we can talk about the not queer stuff. Right. <laughs> so yeah, like I said, it's called, it's uh, called Three Idiots and it starts with these two guys getting a phone call like, hey, I know where your friend Rancho is and Rancho is short for like a much longer name that I can't remember. And it doesn't matter because they only ever call him Rancho. 
And they show up to the place that they're told he's going to be. And it's not, it's this other like dickhead that they went to school <laughs> and they're like, what are you doing here? And he, they, there was this like 10 years prior, he was like, you show up here in 10 years and I will show you how much more successful I am. But he does know where the guy is. And so he Ooh. agrees to take them. And then it flashes back to when they're all in school and it mostly takes place in the past. And it's about their experience in school. And it's called three idiots because these three guys, that's what their teachers kind of call them, even though mm. Rancho is quite brilliant. And I won't get into like the actual story much more than that, but there were some things that I thought were really, really brilliant about it. Mostly or especially because it's this commentary on the education system, specifically the, the post-secondary education system mm-hmm. in India, the pedagogical, like the, the how people are expected to learn in these schools and how it's harming, uh, mm-hmm. like it's actually quite harmful. And so massive content warning around suicide, it shows up in a few oh. kind of different ways in the theme, but so beautifully and brilliantly done. And there's some incredible character arcs. There is a labor and delivery scene. That's one of the most bonkers Uh, things I've ever uh, seen in a film uh, where there's like, I was, I was texting my one friend about it. Cause she was like, you need to live text me as you're doing this. Like (laughs) this is one of, I watch this movie once a month. I love it so much. So I'm texting her as I go and I'm like, what the fuck is with this scene? What is happening? And she's like on a ping pong table. And I'm like, I know. And I'm only going to share that piece of information. Yes, wow. someone gives birth on a ping pong table. And there's a much, much, much weirder stuff. But also it was so wild that I kind of loved it. Like I flipped back because it's that part is kind of more comedy. So it's like I felt everything watching this movie. I cried. <laughs> I laughed. Uh-huh. I was like, oh, I like gasping. It was so mm, it's so good. The, I even... I didn't even fast forward the songs. There weren't that many, but there's one in particular. It's still in my head like three days later, and I'm not even mad because I really like that song. So, (laughs) yes, very much recommend that. Speaking of recommendations. Oh. Chris. Yes. What do you recommend? So, So I, as everyone knows, I don't get a lot of time to read books. And I really should read more because... Uh, there's a lot of good books in our genre, in our Mm -hmm. field. A lot of my friends write really good books and people I don't know write really good books and I really should read more. It's just, it takes a lot of time to to read and it takes away from writing. So it's kind of like, what do I want to do? Do I want to write more books or do I want to read more? So that's a tough one. But Mm -hmm. since I was already taking the weekend off, I decided to go ahead and read a book. And my official recommendation is Meeting Millie by Claire Ashton. It's yay. An, yay, I know. It's an Oxford romance, a new series for Claire, and I have feelings about this book. So here's mm. the synopsis. Mm-hmm. Oxford, celebrated city of dreaming spires and class warfare, is an ambition come true for lesbian geeky upper middle class Charlotte and straight charismatic working class Millie. Against the odds, theirs is an instant best friendship forever. Exuberant Millie is a breath of fresh air for polite Charlotte and a force of nature within the university's hollowed walls, and they are going to be best lawyers of their year and change the world. But the world changes instead when things go queerly sideways and they haven't seen each other since. Ten years on and Charlotte returns to where it all began. She has a new job at a prestigious law firm and Oxford is as beautiful as ever. She is a safe distance from her overbearing mother, Nicola. Nicola? and three office floors from her snappy college mentor, Olivia. Then Millie bounds around the corner wanting to be friends again, and it's as, it's as if the last decade never happened. Will it be different the second time around? Can they be friends again? Or will love and attraction change things? Basically, it's a, it's a past-present story. Mm-hmm. And uh, we need to talk about, before we get into the book itself, like let's talk about what was big on Twitter. I completely missed this oh, on Twitter. Yeah. It's a, it was a tagline that Claire had on her book originally, and mm-hmm. it, a lot of people, and I don't even think that they were people that even read sapphic or any sort of lesbic books. I think it was just like one person found it and then it just kind of snowballed and it was yeah, just. I heard about it through the more like mainstream reading community kind of after it passed. Because when I first saw it, I was like, mm. okay, yeah. it's a bit of a clickbaity tagline. Right. 
I guess, but I didn't, I didn't think a lot of it knowing what I know of the author. Right. So here it is. It says, can two women, one gay and one straight be friends forever or does sex get in the way? So Claire owned her mistake, apologized, took it off. Mm-hmm. I mean, did all the right things. And, you know, and I, I get, you know, why some people were kind of upset by this. They were just kind of, it's kind of like sort of predatory in a way. If you yeah. read it out of context, I get if that even makes sense. I think so. I mean, I guess like if you don't know anything about the author or what's right. going to be happening in the book or because right. like from like Claire Ashton has talked quite publicly many times about being bisexual. So when I read that tagline, I was like, well, I mean, it's a sapphic romance. So I'm going to guess that the straight one is not as straight as she originally thought. And perhaps <laughs> she, like me, she thought she was straight into her adulthood and then found out like me as yeah. an adult. Oh, shit. Maybe that's not the case. Because bisexuality and pansexuality does exist. And also, if she was actually that straight, sex probably doesn't get in the way of a friendship. Right, exactly. <laughs> so so, so, I kind of know where Claire's head is on this. Um, mm-hmm. Because as a writer, you get so involved in the book and the story and you're rereading it and you're reading it and you're editing it and then you're rereading it and you're adding and you're subtracting. And so for months. And so you can't see what's directly in front of your face. So mm-hmm. taglines to just fuck off. I don't like them. You will not see them in my books. I think they're awful. I think that they're, you know, you look at the book, you look at the cover, you look at the, I don't care what anybody says, covers do matter as you and I have talked about. Well, covers, Uh, well, covers and taglines. Yes. Technically both matter because they're both marketing tools. They are. But if you don't have a tagline, you can't like, yeah, it's fine. Have a good cover. Right. Have a good cover. And yeah, so I don't like them. I don't use them. And I just, I feel like, it's really hard to come up with one sentence, one tagline to encompass your whole book. And so I think she kind of like just kind of got the story out and that was the tagline. And so it's not even, it's not even important. It's over and done with. It's just something that I thought we had to mention since there was such a, like a scuttle. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I think, I I do think it's good to call out because I think there were some people who avoided this book because of that. And like, I haven't finished it yet. I'm around 20% of the way through. I was hoping to finish it in time for this conversation, um, but couldn't. But like, it's wonderful. It really is. I, yeah. I abs- yeah. So like I said, I don't have a lot of time to read. Like mm-hmm. I stay busy with work, day job, writing, Patreon, podcasts, mm-hmm. all the P's. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, and, and it skyrocketed to number one. So in a way- Mm-hmm. sometimes you know press is it works. good it yeah. works so I mean not that her books wouldn't already be one but I'm just saying like I'm she already has oh, yeah. hundreds and hundreds of reviews of it it's a great book so basically it's it's friends to lovers yeah it's past and present which is great mm-hmm. because I actually just tried my hand at past and present just recently so yeah I was all in I was like yes I love this I love this whole concept yeah. and I can't tell you how many times I laughed out loud like mm-hmm. I legit laughed out loud, like at least 20 times, at least 20 times. Yeah. I laughed out loud at the airport. I laughed out loud when I was in the bed reading. Yeah. Uh, I laughed out loud here and yeah. at the house. It's just, it was, it's just such a good book. And mm-hmm. like the characters are Charlotte and Millie and Charlotte is like prim and proper. She's very shy mm-hmm. and she goes to, it starts off, you know, she goes to college and then this lady, this girl bursts in and it turns out to be Millie and it's almost her polar opposite, you know, super Mm -hmm. outgoing, just, just very charming. She's like very sex positive. Like she'll have sex with anybody. She doesn't care. Like she's, Mm -hmm. she'll go through guys. Like it's no big deal. And there was a, a, a part in the book where she says, yeah, I, when she finds out that Charlotte is gay, uh, or is a lesbian, she says something like, oh yeah, I couldn't be with women. And at first I was like, what? You know, I thought I was kind of taken aback, but it was just like, because women are so wonderful and complex and stuff and men are easy. So it was, it was just kind mm-hmm. of like, I just like, I'm, it's just, it's, it would be too emotionally hard for her to, to actually have a relationship with a woman. Not that it was physically repulsive, 
yeah. to have a relationship. So it was just kind of like when I first read it, I was like, oh, and then I got to the next sentence and I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> so at first I was like, wow. So I think it's easy for people to fall in love with their opposites, especially when you're young and you're figuring out who you are. Mm-hmm. And her, uh, like Charlotte's feelings just snowballed for Millie. Like you could just see yeah. it. Like I just, she just loved her so much. And Millie was completely oblivious until she mm. wasn't. So I think that like her, like Charlotte got hurt by Millie, like big time hurt. And it just, I, I don't, her. I don't know what happened. All I know is that something I know. Happened. And you will find out, you will find out what I'm happens. Dying to know. Yes. Cause I'm like, did they fuck it not went badly? Friends. They're not, you think something like yeah, that yeah, happened. Yeah. And they're not friends for 10 years. And but see, here's the yes. thing I love about soulmates, whether they're friends or lovers or mm-hmm. whoever, you know, you can be soulmates with, with people in your life that you're not having sex with. It's just one of those things. Totally. Yeah. And so, but they fall right back into, into their friendship. You know how mm-hmm. you haven't talked to a friend for 10 years and you can just like slip right back in, like nothing happened. So this yeah. is kind of what happens here, but Charlotte's a little bit more confident. She's not like Millie confidence. But she she's like Charlotte as... best self-confident. Yes, she is. Yeah. You know, she still has a little bit of doubts because she starts this new job. She's a lawyer. She starts this new job and she starts doubting things like, did I make the right choice? You know, this everybody mm-hmm. always walks all over me. And so you see the character development as the story goes and as her relationship with Millie solidifies as adult, as adults. So um, yeah, having her best friend. It's like everything. She's like, I'm so complete. I'm so happy. Like Mm -hmm. everything in life is great. And so it's kind of funny because in the past, you see how Charlotte has this massive crush on Millie. And then in the present day, you see Millie, how that's kind of changed. And Millie is starting to have feelings for Charlotte. One of the things that I loved that already comes across in the part that I've read, which like I said, it's only the first 20%. So I think this is fair to say, not really a spoiler. Yes. But like in the present, seeing the way that Millie pines for their friendship. Yes. How much she misses it. Like that true, Mm -hmm. that longing in a way that like, we often see in romance for romantic partners and like, sure. Yeah. They become romantic partners later, but like to see it in a context of friendship mm-hmm. felt like I felt that. Cause yeah, yes. there've been friends that you just wonder like what happened? Yeah. I don't understand. And like, in, in that, that pain, that grief, that mm-hmm. to see that come across. And you have no closure. No. In a book that still feels lighthearted. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was perfect amount of everything for me. Perfect amount of angst, perfect amount of just the, like I said, humor. I love that. Like, I don't find a lot of humor in books. I think there's like one or two like scenes that are like, oh, that was pretty funny. But this was like continuous. I'm I'm laughing so hard because Mm -hmm. there's a friend, Olivia, who is actually Charlotte's, um, she's, she, she knows Millie from when they went to school together. Oh yeah. And so, but like you see Olivia, she just dislikes Millie a lot because she saw how Charlotte was just shredded when Millie, mm-hmm. whatever happened, the thing that mm-hmm. happened. Um, so Olivia was there to see that. And so she's kind of protecting Charlotte as an, as adults. Yeah. And she's actually hilarious. Like she is so dry and, like matter of fact and very emotionless. And she's very successful at, at business at life. Mm-hmm. And like some of her lines are just, just dead pan hilarious. And I'm, I laugh like later you'll see this. You'll see. Okay, good. Cause I haven't seen it yet. yet. <laughs> so will. far I'm like, stop yes. being mean to Millie. I don't yes. care for you. <laughs> it, it, it's all good. It all ends up good. So, um, so we need to talk about a couple things in the book that I thought was really great that, that Claire actually brought forth. Mm-hmm. She, as soon as I said, as soon as I read it, I like texted you because you're always talking about let's have more safe sex in lesbian sapphic books. Mm-hmm. And so like in the first, I, I don't even, it could have been like maybe the first or second chapter, maybe uh, Millie gets Charlotte dental dams. Yes. 
Yes. And Charlotte's still virgin. And she's like, I, I, I know I'm gay, but I've never had a girlfriend. And she's like, oh, you're going to need these. And so she like, like whips out some dental dams. Love and like that. that. I knew that you would totally dig that. I, I was did. like, ah, I got to text Tara. Yes, I did. I loved it very much. And it's so cute too. Cause it's also in the context of, wait, you've never been to a gay bar before. Right. Well, obviously we need to go. And by the way, you should take these with you. Like right. <laughs> everybody needs a friend like that when they're in university or college. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, another thing that Claire actually writes, and I reached out to you on this one too, is she writes the sentence, a white man, a couple of years younger than Charlotte greeted her. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and that's, that's great. Because Mm -hmm. that, like most writers identify outside of the white norm. I mean, you know what I'm saying? They, yeah, like you're better at that. Yeah, that was the, we talked about it when you texted it. Um, I thought that was really interesting too, because most of the time in fiction, definitely always when written by white people, if that's not stated in the description, like what they, what they look like, Mm -hmm. then the default is just white. And so what I like about that is that she has decided there is no default. And so she kind of calls it out for everybody. Like we know who's black, we know who's white. I'm sure there are other races. I'm not done reading it, but like- I, yeah, so I thought that was, really, I was like, yeah. at first I saw it and I was like, what, what? Mm-hmm. And I go, well, that makes sense. Cause we writers call out like black people mm-hmm. in stories and like, I, I it just, it, it's yeah. stunned to me, but in such a good way, like, yeah. I was like, do we do this? Oh my God. That's brilliant. That's perfect. That, that is yeah. great. Yeah. I loved it. I love that. And I just want to say that, like, I know that the story has been told a million different ways, like friends to lovers you know, has always been, been done. Yeah. I mean, popular It is a super popular trope and mm-hmm. she just does an incredible job of descriptions, like yeah, just environment descriptions and mm-hmm. emotions. Like she's so good at emotions. And oh, I yeah. just, I loved everything about this book. I can't, there's nothing bad about this book. Well, if you loved this based on all of what you just said, have you read her other book, Poppy Jenkins? Yes, I have. Look at me yelling at you. (laughs) (laughs) It's a good book to yell at me, but isn't it wonderful? It is. is. And Mm. oh, oh, I almost I almost forgot to mention that the characters are curvy. Like Millie is very voluptuous and curvy. And she has an hourglass figure. So it's not the the like, you know, the stick figure, yeah, you know, characters that we're so used to in a lot of lesbic books. Yeah, people are striving for that that quote unquote perfection whatever. Yes. Um, Charlotte is tall and somewhat thin, but as an mm-hmm. adult, she fills out. Yeah. Especially like, come on. She talks as we about, all do. Oh, yes, <laughs> that's true. And uh, yeah, so it was, I like, if you're on the fence for any reason whatsoever, you shouldn't be, this is a really good book. I recommend it. Tara's reading it now and she's I recommend it. The, yeah, I recommend the first 20% and I will report back, but I probably will recommend it heartily yeah, as well. For sure. Claire Ashton is one of my favorites, for sure. I don't tend to read the creepier stuff that she writes, but for, <laughs> for the actual, for the romances, for the love, romance, yeah. love, love, for sure. love. For sure. Mm-hmm. So that is, that is my official recommendation. I kind of stumbled around a little bit, but that was because I couldn't find my words. And You're excited. We're recording late at night, so. I, you know, <laughs> oh, Yeah. Everybody, this you know, what late happens. Night. yeah, you know what happens when we it's record on Monday day. evenings instead of Sunday mornings. <laughs> yes. So that was my official recommendation. What about you, Tara? What is your official recommendations? Okay. So I have two, as yes. I mentioned, and like I said, it's because they're both quite short and given how short they are, that makes it hard to talk about either of them in much depth. So we're doing a twofer. Woo. Woo. Uh, so the first one is an indie game. It's called a new life. And it's by Angela He or Hey, I apologize. I'm, I don't know you. I only just came across your stuff yesterday. So I loved it. It's so beautiful. The description for it, because usually I do kind of my own blurb type stuff, but I think it's worth going with the official this time. And it says a classic love story, meet, marry, grow old. But when your loved one hurts you, what do you do? Is it better to love and be hurt than never love at all? Mm. And so it's a story about these two young women. They meet in college, August and May. And then depending on the choices that you make, they either grow old together or they don't. 
Oh, wow. And that can mean like maybe when August, when May comes up to the table with August and says, is this seat taken? Depending on how you answer, the game might end right there. <laughs> like it might yes, end it 30 is. seconds in. <laughs> there are possibilities where the friendship just doesn't continue. It doesn't go or like it just cuts off or it can go into a romantic relationship, but perhaps one of them passes away for oh gosh, different yeah. reasons. Yeah. And so I played, uh, th- so this is the first game I've ever played on steam. So for all you steam gamers, oh. it's also, it's also on itch.io. And I think I paid, it was like less than $4 for this game. Also, it says that I played for 72 minutes and I think I played through about five times in there. Cause I was trying to get <laughs> to that, like, give me Good. the positive yeah. ending. I want to know the way this is supposed to go. Because when I got the first ending that I got was one of them passing away. And I was like, (gasps) I know. Right. And like quite young, not too long after they got married, I was like, I can't. What? No, no. And so, yeah, I, I think I, yeah, I think I played it five times and it was just so beautiful. And even when I got to the positive ending, it was so poignant and like just so bittersweet, but perfect. And Mm. the thing that's interesting for me is that at the same time, I've been listening to Susan Cain's book, Bittersweet, which came out last year. And it's kind of talking about how like people that can see the beauty and sadness, the beauty and pain, the, you know, like all of that, mm -hmm, who can mm -hmm. really appreciate that bittersweetness. Like it's just this like different way of like living and appreciating things and it's kind of like the power of that and so listening to that while playing this game was a very interesting experience the other thing i'll say is that the art is stunning Mm. it is absolutely gorgeous so yeah if you have like an hour less than two hours for sure that you want to kill highly recommend this game it is well worth your like three and a half dollars that you're going to spend on it my other recommendation is a manga it is called she loves to cook she loves to eat by sakami yuzaki it's exactly what it sounds like on the tin (laughs) she loves to cook (laughs) one loves to to cook and one loves to eat yeah (laughs) So it's a slice of life story and so Nomoto is the one who loves to cook it's something she that she does because like it makes her happy, it helps her de-stress, but also she's kind of like a food influencer type, except she can't eat very much. And she's like, well, shit, what am I supposed to do with all this? Like I'm cooking all this food, but I can't eat all of it. I'm not dating anybody and I don't have anybody <laughs> close by. And one day she kind of looks down the hall and she sees her neighbor who, so there's like three apartments in a row. So Nomoto isn't one of them. And then it's like an empty apartment. And then there's Kasuga, who is her neighbor, who also lives alone. But she's like, she sees her going home one day carrying this lot, like a lot of food and then finds out that's one meal. And we're talking like, as an approximation, like a KFC party not party pack, but like a KFC family pack. Like that's what she's bringing home for dinner. So, you know, she invites her, she invites Kasuga over for dinner and it's kind of like, Hey, I made this stuff. Do you want it? And then it starts this friendship where Nomoto is making food and Kasuga is eating the food. And then Kasuga starts paying for it and they start hanging out. And it's just, it's so freaking cute. And like Kasuga is like really, really hunky, even though like she has long hair, but she's still like quite mask kind of presenting. Mm-hmm. And then Nomoto is this like littler, very traditionally femme presenting. And it's so cute because at one point she's like, oh no, what if she only thinks I want to feed her? And it's like, we should start hanging out. And then they start hanging out. And it's just like so wholesome and cute. And you see like <laughs> Nomoto is just increasingly crushing on Kasuga. Who at one point, though, she started talking about how, like, she doesn't have a lot of friends and people don't seem to understand her. And I was just like, I'll be your friend. Oh, exactly. (laughs) But then it's like, oh, but Nomoto sees her 
mm-hmm. and like really sees what makes her wonderful in a way that most other people don't seem to be able to. And so it's like, it's a real quick read. It was just the one volume that I read because that was all that was out. But mm-hmm. by the time the next episode is up, the next, the second volume Ooh. is coming out. It actually comes out tomorrow, the day after this is being recorded. And I am so freaking excited because I pre-ordered it to be shipped at my house. Yes, I am getting hard copies because also like it's so wholesome and sweet. I can just like hand them to either of my say, kids. You can share it to, with the kids for sure. Yeah. Oh, nice. So if you like gentle, just like two women falling for each other over food and friendship, it's Sounds wonderful. perfect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the thing I recommend. It's, and actually like maybe do these two things in order because the game, A New Life, again, so beautiful. But like, it's kind of sad at the end, no matter how Aww. it ends, even the beautiful ending is still a little sad. And then you can like pick yourself back up. By reading She Loves to Cook and She Loves to Eat because there's nothing sad in that book. How old are they? Um, Around, do you think? It's a good question. 20s? Okay. Like, I would say probably more of that new adult range. Mm-hmm. Uh, so probably, like, early to mid-20s, if I had to guess. But, yeah, so freaking cute. I think people should check those out. That is all for this episode. Thank you so much to everyone who listened. If you've enjoyed the show and you haven't subscribed yet, please make sure you do on your podcast app so you know when we release an episode. If you have friends, like we said earlier, if you have friends that you think would like the show, please tell them about it because we would love to give them recommendations too. If you want to support us, anything is obviously uh, appreciated, but we do have links in our Mm -hmm. show notes to our coffee and our newsletter sign up. Or if you want to connect with us on your favorite social media sites, we have links in the show notes as well. Or you can search for Clearly Recommended on Instagram, Facebook, Tumblr, TikTok, and Twitter. Or email us at podcast at clearlyrecommended.com. Goodbye, everyone. Goodbye. Don't cancel. Don't cancel. Don't stop. Don't stop. I won't recording. stop. But I okay, did stop I sharing my screen. What yeah, that's forget? cool. I forgot two things. First of all, that's I want to go ahead and I want to reread the um, the whole. Seven blurb. husbands of Evelyn here. No. <laughs> yeah, I want to read that right now. No, I wanted to go ahead and read the Claire Ashton. I, ha- I didn't read it all. I only read like one thing because I was getting ahead of myself. Oh, so yeah, I yeah. don't have that. But also I forgot that somebody emailed, I, I texted me and I had to talk to you about it. So oh. I don't know if this is good stuff or not, but let me read okay. this to you. Okay. Um, let me find the message. It says, oh, blah, blah, blah. Okay. So I have, so I have something I need to consult with someone. It's about a book. Well, more, more two books, truth and measure and above all things. Okay. Oh, I know yeah. about these. I've heard it's of them. A, <laughs> yes, you have. <laughs> it's supposed to be an ice queen and workplace romance trope storyline divided between the two books. But during book two, I lost my mojo for the storyline. That's never happened. I, I didn't lose interest in the story itself. I really didn't like Vivian's demeanor towards Jules. That is when it came to talking about feelings. All other ice queen stories, well, the ice queen melts and exposes the side of herself she won't for anyone else. In this story, Vivian retains that ice demeanor when it comes to expressing her emotions. Like she's emotionally stagnant and her persona is an excuse not to go not to grow in her emotional intelligence. I've been pondering this. I'm wondering if this is a reality that exists when it's not considered emotionally immature for one person to not be as vocal about how they feel about the other. It's perhaps just her personality. I've enjoyed Rosalind Sinclair's work. I'm just trying to understand better why this story got a bit under my skin. There's one argument that really made my heart pound. After that, it was hard for me to connect with them being so in love or even truly bonding during sex. Like I had ED, erectile dysfunction. Mm. Um, perhaps it is a, Perhaps it's as easy. This quiet nature and inability to admit when you're in love just doesn't work for me. I really hate that there's only 
There isn't a local lesbo book club. The only one I've heard of reads books with zero romance or sex. No, thank you. Blah, blah, blah. I'm just wondering what your opinion is on the whole idea that an adult can be tight-lipped about their feelings. I mean, when Jules told her I love you and Vivian never responded, but Vivian even calls Jules one night to ask if Jules, to ask Jules if she really loved her. So she needed the reassurance, yet she was unwilling to do the same for Jules. She goes, ugh, I see it so emotionally immature and selfish. I'm just wondering if I'm seeing it through a wrong perspective because people adore the story. It makes me feel like I'm really missing something. Woof. Um, That is a lot. So. So I get where this person is coming from, but I also fundamentally disagree with what they're saying because no, Vivian doesn't immediately return the I love you. I don't know how to get into any of this without spoilers. So I think at this point, if anybody wants to take off and not, if you haven't read it and you don't want to be spoiled, this is a great point at which for you to drop off. Cause like we're, we're post to the episode is done. This is extra shit. So just drop (laughs) off. I'm going to get spoilery. No, Vivian doesn't immediately return the, I love you, but it was because it was so important to her that she didn't feel like she could say it on the phone. Because the first time Jules says it is on the phone. And then she's mostly saying it on the phone. And that is not a thing that Vivian says to people. It is not something that she has said easily to anyone before in her life. And she says it at the right time for her and in the right way when they're together. And I just thought it was so beautiful. And also... To me, it's also a very different, like they're very different in their love languages. So for Jules, she needs the words of affirmation, Mm -hmm. but Vivian is an acts of service person. And so she has her own ways that she shows that she loves Jules without necessarily saying the words. And now because Jules is a words of affirmation person, she needs that. But like, that's kind of what leads to the big argument about like, but do you actually love me or do you not actually love me? And it's like, that kind of a provoking an argument over it is also not the right context in which Vivian is going to say for the first time right. in her adult life <laughs> and meaning you. it, right? Like that's not, that's not the way to do that. And in fact, what I thought was really interesting there is she's very hurt. How can you ask me that when I've done everything I can to show you, which in and of itself, like, is it emotionally immature? Maybe, but to me, what I read there is that she loves her so deeply, it's painful to even have it questioned. Like, how can you not know? And so, but I think what it also could just come down to is like, maybe it just doesn't work for this reader. And that's okay. Not every book is going to work for every person. Not like, I know some people that fucking hate Ice Queen stories because they don't (laughs) want to deal with that kind of thing. And like, in this case, I still think she is an ice queen. I don't think she's just this like totally emotionally closed off because she has her own, like that is a part of her journey is learning how to do this, learning how to be like a good adult in a healthy relationship. And I mean, if you want to see like a serious, like what, like, like quite cold and whatever, go back to the fanfic. Cause that's where I really felt like she was closed off versus like, I know some people Especially in there's um, a Devil Wears Prada fanfic uh, Facebook group that a bunch of us are in. And there were some people that didn't like the fiction, like didn't like Truth and Measure and above all things, the public published fiction as much because they felt like she was Vivian was much softer than Miranda Mm. in the fanfic. And like there were a couple things Miranda did in the fanfic that I was kind of Mm -hmm. nauseated by. Oh. And I'm so glad didn't make it into the original fiction. So I still think she melts. Like she absolutely melts for Jules and she behaves around Jules in a way that she would never, ever, ever, ever do around anyone else. So I'm sorry if like, if the other (laughs) person who wrote this completely disagrees, that's fine. That, but that's my take on the situation. I don't think she's entirely emotionally unavailable i think you know she has this backstory of never being understood by her family 
having to leave it all behind, rebuilding her identity absolutely from the ground up and having to try to make it in publishing as a woman coming up at a time when publishing was absolutely dominated by men. Yeah. And having no one like she's she was married two or three times before and never actually in love with any of them, but mm-hmm. like marrying men because that's who you're supposed to marry. Like she's a really complex character who's been through a lot of shit. So like maybe I cut her more grace than some other people because oh. there's still that there's still that palpable passion between them. Like I can still feel the love building, but it's very it's in the subtleties. So I wonder because you have such history in it. And with all the fanfic and you have mm-hmm. all that arsenal in your mind, you can mm-hmm. kind of maybe subconsciously fill in some gaps or maybe like, oh, yeah, yeah. So maybe that's where the difference is. Totally. Because like I've read it a bunch of times and like yeah. the more you read something like that, the more you can look for the nuance, the small mm-hmm. moments that actually add up to a much more complete picture of like the relationship and whatever. So yeah, I mean, like, I don't know how many times I read the fanfic. I wouldn't be surprised if I read it like eight or 10 times. Wow. And now I've read the original <laughs> fiction about twice. the same twice. <laughs> no, I've had great restraint. I've read that. it twice. Oh, okay. In less than a year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's my take. Okay. Very good. All right. So now we know. <laughs>